Hey guys, thanks for joining us. I know most of our audience is probably familiar with It's Going Down, but for folks not familiar, could you describe your organization really quickly and introduce yourselves, I guess? Sure. Um, it's Going Down is a media platform from an anarchist perspective, but it's cross-tenancy of variety of autonomous social movements that describe as anti-state, anti-colonial, anti-capitalist. And um, we have a podcast. We have a radio show that comes out on several Pacifica stations on the West Coast and beyond. And we also have a platform for news and we feature interviews, roundups, and take submissions in the form of action reports and critical reflections and stuff like that. Awesome. So, you know, I think there's a lot of variations of like anarchist news media, but somehow you've got, you guys have really managed to stand out. Do you have any thoughts about why that might be the case? Mm, I think it's an interesting question. And I think it has to do with all, a number of different factors. So if you think about the anarchist media ecosystem, you, you tend to have like two models, right? There's sort of the anarchist news model, which is the everyone says everything, submit whatever you want. Anyone could say anything in the comments section. And like that can be entertaining and at times interesting and useful, but it's kind of a more or less unfocused environment intentionally, right? Then you have outlets like Crime Think, which publish their own stuff. And like, if you are part of that sort of circle of people um, or are writing something interesting they'd be interested in, they will put it out. There's like, but there's a much more static editorial process and things like that. We kind of fall into the middle. So we do take submissions. So we do take open submissions. So we're sort of open to participation by the, like from the community all throughout North America. And people do send us stuff a lot, but we also run columns. We also solicit pieces. We also have a pretty specific bent and a relatively specific series of questions that we're interested in talking about. So that's the first part is I think it kind of blends those models. But the second part, I think has a lot to do actually with history and the history of contemporary American anarchism. And this is sort of where the roots of IGD, I think are interesting, right? Not so much in like the project, but in the community, the project came out of. And so for those that are listening that might not have been around 10 years ago or whatever, Back then, insurrectionism was sort of the ascendant tendency, right? Things were sort of changing as far as how actions were conceived. People were doing more direct action. They were doing it in smaller groups. There's a lot more dynamism. And a lot of those norms of organizing heavily influence what happens today. But during that period of time, a lot of these media projects started, including projects like Fire to the Prisons and a few other ones, which were sort of insurrectionist magazines, journals, kind of online things. There was a lot of playing around with the idea of running blogs and sort of counter info sites and stuff like that. And IGD really comes out of that sort of community of people, like people that were simultaneously doing media, but also in the streets at the same time and without really much of a separation between the two. So because we kind of come out of the community itself, we have a lot of these connections into the scene in a way in which Readership for us is not just a question of online outreach, like readership for us is organic, right? And built on a lot of long-standing connections with people in these communities that many of which we've known for over a decade, a lot of them. Yeah, that's awesome. I think there's something that's really important about the fact that it was about a decade ago, because I think about social media a decade ago and kind of how that's changed yeah. what organizing and communicating looks like. Yeah as well as like the, the ability to have certain consumable content in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I think about like 10 years ago, if you had wanted to like find something out, you had to join some like forum that you happened to know through somebody. 
And mm-hmm. those days are basically gone with things like Discord and Instagram. Yeah. I feel like the thing that came from that time was an ability to understand how to organize in a way that didn't necessarily mm-hmm. relate on or rely rather on that social media infrastructure. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about that on, on the podcast. Like we talk about this consistently. We just released, when we finished our recent fundraiser, we released a long episode we did with Crime Think about the histories of American anarchist organizing in the kind of contemporary period. And, and it's exactly what you're talking about, right? So like I came up in the late 90s, right? So like we were punching Nazis and literally getting tickets to shows mailed to our houses, right? Like you're physically signing up on a piece of paper for a physical mailing list. And that's how people organized. And back then you knew everybody. Yeah, It's like you would be in a radical community. You knew everyone. If you were not a good member of that community, there were immediate social consequences for that. There was immediate social accountability, right? And so those structures are really strong and those connections are really strong a lot of the time in ways that I think are often absent today, right? Things feel a lot more ephemeral today, right? Or sort of ethereal, right? They're they're there, but they're almost like vaporware. Yeah. That they can have a body to them. But unfortunately, I think what happens is that we shortcut the hard part of organizing, which is the drudgery and the day-to-day, like phone calls, meetings, like organizing work actions that don't like play out the way you want them to, going to jail, like all that stuff. We shortcut all of that and instead want to go for the aesthetics of the result, namely bodies in the streets. But without any of that groundwork, without any of those logistics, bodies in the streets don't last very long. And when the initial motivation dissipates, that dissipates as well. But when you do the hard work, you can have that persistence. And that's really not just the story of IGD, but I think the story of, of anarchism right. in America over the last 20 years. And that kind of coming up of coming up to the limits of social media is what the current generation is experiencing right now. Yep. You know, with the tail end of the George Floyd rebellion, the ascendancy of Biden, there is less of a push to get out in the streets, even though all the same problems are still there. And people are kind of faced with this reality that you can't put a, an image out on Instagram and then suddenly a thousand people will be there. Right. So the question is sort of like, you know, where do things go from there? Mm-hmm. And I think that in that reality, like uh, media is very important. You know, it's, it allows us to understand what's going on, see what other people are doing. What are the other experiments I mean, you can even look at small, well, I don't want to say small things, but things like, you know, what the people with heater block are doing, building like little heaters and stuff and mm-hmm. how much that has proliferated. And I think media is very important in, in doing that. And I think, you know, one of the things that makes IGD different is that we try to talk to a lot of different tendencies, whether, you know, it's people in indigenous communities organizing, whether it's people that consider themselves municipalists that are really excited about forming workers' co-ops, which maybe I'm not as interested in, but they are people from a variety of different places that are trying different things, uh, working on different aspects of struggle and community building. And I think that kind of gives us more of a holistic view of like what people are doing. It also shows us too that whether you call yourself a tycoonist or an anarchist or a municipalist or, you know, whatever, whatever the kind of label you want to, uh, you know, anti-colonial, neo-phenonist, autonomous, you know, anarchist, whatever, you know, we're all sort of on the same boat in terms of politics and kind of ideas. And we're trying different things where we're at. And I think it's good to have a scorecard and, and look at like where those experiments are, are going and what results they're getting. 
I like the one thing about in the, uh, I think it's the about me section or about us section on it's going down's website is that it highlights that the project is explicitly anti-capitalist. And that means like a very broad umbrella, mm-hmm. which I, to go back to what we're talking about, like because of the it's social media ecosystem, despite there being a lot of like people that would agree with that at the same time, it doesn't seem like anyone actually fundamentally agrees with it when they're presented with something that doesn't jive with their very niche brand of anarchism or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that can be really damaging in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But to get back to this idea of like the media ecosystem itself that you guys are building up, one of the things that I feel like I'm seeing a lot and I'm kind of curious about your thoughts is this idea of like a lot of social media first attempts at things like media outlets and basically a lot of young people that feel like they need an input someplace on what's going on without really understanding how to tap into some of this already existing infrastructure. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts around like some of these newer orgs that are trying to to step into these roles of like decentralized news and things like that through social media first? And like, what are some some suggestions just from your experiences about like, should they be doing these things? And if they should, you know, what are some of the things that they should be more aware of going into the space? I think from an organizational perspective, like it always makes sense to have some sort of conduit to speak to everybody else like you need a way to get your ideas out and uh, i mean one of the reasons that it's going down exists is to to amplify those voices because i mean like you said when you start you're very small and you kind of want to you know get it across to other people i mean that's why people send us stuff all the time mm-hmm. you know they're in a small town and they want to amplify what they're doing so they send it to us or they have an announcement about they have a new website or a new group and i think that's great i think that kind of like stepping beyond that though i think kind of the the horizon that we need to look towards is building up, you know, specifically regional capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of regions have counter-information sites like directly for those regions. And I think while it's going down is great, I think the more that people can build connections with each other locally and then present like a curated site. So kind of like the idea of a decentralized network that's, you know, federated together. Uh, based on you know free association with you know, the definition of anarchism, but applying that to the media landscape is right on. And I think the more that we see sites like uh, North Shore Counter Info, mm-hmm. you know Montreal Counter Info, there's just a new site that popped up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one in Portland, Rose City Counter Info. I think all those are great, and we should see a proliferation of those. And and also people not only setting up. Uh, websites for news and reflections and report backs, but also like putting the work into that. Because I mean, one of the problems with social media is that we allow ourselves to just let the news cycle kind of take us and, you know, it just Mm kind of takes over. And like, after a couple of days, it's, it's like on to the next thing, you know, we really need to like our own ability to actually reflect, think through things, critique Talk about what went well. I mean, that's one of the things we always ask and it's going down. Like what went well? What went wrong? What can people learn from this? How can we do better? Mm-hmm. What was the impact of what we did? What were some of the things that maybe we didn't think about that negatively impacted us? And just kind of growing from there. And I, I think really there's this kind of sweet spot, right? Where a project like, you know, North Shore Counter Info or Act for Free or even 325 in a, a certain to a certain degree kind of floats in, which is this kind of space between what I think you're referring to, which is this, again, social media first, almost like 
fly-by-night almost outlets, right? That kind of pop up all over the place. Uh, I think we saw like eight quadrillion of them pop up when like everyone started a local anti-fascist Facebook group like five years ago. We saw like eight million of these local news sites pop up. Yeah. Which that's great. I mean, like it's part of that's great. It's articulating something which, you know, my friend just talked about here, but this idea that there is something really critical about the granularity of localism, right? And so when you're doing something like a counter info site, or even, you know, like where I live, we don't necessarily even have a counter info site. But what we do have is we have very active social media presence from the groups that are actually on the ground doing the work, you know, full time. In that sort of, of space, right, there's this tendency to detach what you're doing from that grounding and everything becomes sort of abstracted away. So conversations become about what do you identify as your weird niche tendency of anarchism? And people will argue about that for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on end. And none of those people know each other at all, meaning that they don't particularly have a known direct stake in each other's existence, yet they're sitting there arguing with each other online about something which fundamentally is really just about how they understand the world. I think what happens with these counter-info sites or what happens with a project like IGD is that that groundedness sort of materializes the conversation, right? It concretizes it. It makes it about something, essentially, right? And this is why I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the discussion about what tendency you identified with wasn't as big of an issue because fundamentally everything was focused on and oriented towards action and action logistics. And so you knew people in the streets primarily, you knew them from gatherings, you knew them as people, not as anonymized online identities, but as actual people. And so these local sites have this ability to really fill in the granularity of the sort of material context that they're in, right? Then we have these really large sites like IGD, which are connected to the ground still or crime think or whatever, which have this kind of presence, this network of connection that we've built up over time that are able to function at scale, right? I think where where people go wrong is not so much in the social media first kind of orientation. I think where they go wrong is by thinking that that's all that they need to do. That you can throw up a website, you can go get yourself like, you know, a no blog site or whatever, throw up a site, put up an Instagram and like run your news project or whatever. And you can do that. But there's going to be deficiencies in the way that that works. And you're probably better off just just contributing to something that's already there. Um, you'll get more readership that way. Yeah. I think this also relates to projects, too. I mean, like, I think one of the things you're talking about, like, we saw a lot in the, the rent strike uh, push that happened yeah. right right yeah. before the George Floyd uprising happened. And it was it, it was funny because it's like all the insurrectionaries went out and, and did, like, rent strike xyz city and it was more of like an agitational thing and then the people that actually uh like hunkered down and formed uh tenant unions those things are still going but by and large of course you know the rent strike accounts are you know that was just basically for that push of you know this rent strike that i wouldn't say didn't happen it certainly did and there was a lot of stuff that happened that was inspiring but now of course things have moved on to the reality that we have like large-scale autonomous tenant unions in various cities they're connected through things like the autonomous tenant unions network which i think honestly is a much more interesting reality the fact that we have these like large scale organizations that in some cities have you know thousands of thousands of members that are all connected to each other and again in that situation i mean it's not bad that those things exist only for a you know a set amount of time but 
what's mm-hmm. missing though is that if you're somebody that's i mean we have people that you know emails quite regularly like how do i get involved mm-hmm. you know where do i go and i think this is kind of a larger question too especially after something like the george floyd uprising and you know there's a lot of people that want to get plugged in is like what where can they go and i think one of the the good things about now is that there's a lot of things, whether it's, um, you know, writing to prisoners or especially mutual aid projects that you can actually direct people towards to get involved and just get their hands dirty and, and meet folks is, you know, that's mainly what people want to do. But um, again, to kind of go back to your question, like I think setting up local counter info or uh, autonomous media structures, especially regionally or in cities where people are at, that kind of serve a wide area that's not just one group are really important because projects kind of come and go and, and things ebb and, ebb and flow. But if you're somebody that's looking to connect with larger movement, you're going to have to look at a project that's actually continuously updating, regardless of if this one thing mm-hmm. is still being worked on. And if that thing just goes away, then people are just totally left to try to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, I think it all boils down to the fact that we're very disconnected from one another. Yeah. And COVID is just making that worse, obviously. But I think social media had already started that process. And we're talking about like this idea that there's a lot of people that are like hurrying up to like create a news org on social media and throwing up a website. And it's because I think they don't realize that things are accessible, like it's going down. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if that's at the fault of anyone in particular or just like the the guise of of professionalism that exists for organizations that have existed for a long time. But there's definitely like a a division that's like very clear. And you guys caught the tail end of that change or it was that first wave or whatever you want to call it in the modern social media era. Mm -hmm. What I've been really thinking about and kind of as this project itself has kind of grown into something much bigger than what I had ever expected is kind of around this idea of what a left media ecosystem really looks like, especially in the framework of capitalism. Like, what what does it mean to really have a left media? Is it essentially a, a group of decentralized news orgs like yourself? Or should we be thinking uh, outside of the scope of just like the online internet media and how that integrates into communities and things like that? I know that's a pretty open-ended question that could go in a lot of yeah. different directions, but I'm I'm kind of curious from folks that have been doing this for a long time. I would start off and looking at it in terms of like looking at sort of where the problems are and also like what are kind of the gates that keep us from like getting access to, to bigger audiences really. So for instance, like right now, like things like it's going down or unicorn riot and sub media, we're actually to in many ways able to punch above our weight. Like we can like break stories or put out news of something then that will actually get picked up in the mainstream media and like it will go on beyond us. Or for instance, like something will happen like, you know, a prison strike and we'll be able to write about it and possibly that'll kind of like spiral outside of the movement and get picked up by the mainstream, which I think is, is in many ways often a goal. Like we want to like these stories to like get out there more. Right. At the same time, like, so for instance, like in terms of like, breaking into things like TV or even like getting on like shows like democracy now, which like reaches so many people, but yet it's really remains sort of kind of like a bastion of sort of like left progressive politics. That's like maybe the democratic party will listen one day, you know? Yeah. Also like in terms of like, I don't know, expanding into radio or something like that. So there's still kind of like these really big barriers 
And that's why it's exciting to see projects like Means TV yep. begin because that's something that, okay, maybe this could be something that could like end up on Roku or something. Or like to put it another way, it's like, why isn't there sort of like a more radical alternative to like the Young Turks, which is really just like mm-hmm. three people yelling at you about an article in the New York Times or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that's really like all it is. It's like, you know, we can totally do that. Yeah. Like, you know, we like we, that's, we, we do do that. Well, we that's just literally do like what YouTube. we do on our Yeah, that's literally what we do on our podcast. I mean, that's essentially the format of like InfoWars. It's like, I just saw something on 4chan and nah, 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 the demons and nah, nah, nah. you know, it's like that's literally a, that's like, a cut first, away to like Yeah, first off, that is a fantastic Alex Jones. Impression. I know that just like, came it's out really of, good. I I didn't like if I close my eyes, I could have been there. <laughs> it just came out of me. I know my Halloween costume. This um, you know, cut away to supplements, brain force, blah blah blah. Yeah, there we go. So we kind of already know like the working format sort of, I mean, I'm kind of hesitant to say like, we should do exactly like what the alt-right did. Although I will say like, it's funny, like the channel zero network was actually looking at the model that the right stuff had and just said like, we should take all these podcasts and kind of like put them under one umbrella because that seems to work for them. (laughs) I mean, you know, and it did. Yeah. Like that's one of those things. I, I feel like it asks for saying it, but a lot of times I'm like, the right has figured this out. Like you can say all the things you dislike about them and there's plenty to say, but they figured right. out how to create an ecosystem. But the problem is, is that so much of their stuff is like, you know, they're, they're able to game algorithms, you know, they're able to basically work hand in glove with like things like Facebook. You know, we could talk forever about Facebook and I really don't want to, but you know, you go to like the top 10, like Facebook's news sites. And I think like maybe eight or nine of the, of the 10 are like, uh, you know, pretty far right, you know, or right wing. Yeah. So like, I think we need to think maybe more, more holistic approach would be like, we are trying to reach out to this mass of people that is not represented by either corporate political party and is not excited about either. And is increasingly more radical, increasingly prone to join social movements, increasingly angry at neoliberalism. Like how do we actually reach out to these folks? You know, is it through social media is it through sort of like a very slow sort of like building process in which we make connection with people through struggle and they kind of like get tuned on to us? Like, I mean, maybe this is something that you can even reflect on, like doing this podcast, like, has it been a slow burn? Has it been through like getting people turned on through other shows and then they come this way? Like what's been the the growth cycle? Yeah. I think for us, it's kind of been like the slow burn, you know, it's like sort of building and as more people kind of like hear about us and we cover more and more struggles and have more and more discussions with people, it kind of the circle kind of expands. Hey there, it's Andy from the Poor Proles Almanac. And, and we're not the Poor Proles Almanac. You're right. We are tomorrow today. And I'm Nash Flynn from Death and Friends. Tomorrow today is our chance to talk to folks about cutting edge research that helps us understand what tomorrow looks like. But today... We've got exciting guests. And we'll speculate wildly about what the future looks like. Will the ocean currents slow down in your lifetime, leaving temperate climates decimated? Will we go to Mars? Will we drown in climate-induced ocean floods filled with microplastics? Will new research rewrite the history our children read? Will the sun... Is this going to be another Doomer question? No. Tomorrow, today, wherever you get your podcasts, and also on Instagram.
And I think this all comes back to this really uh, important question about like the work you guys are doing and myself is kind of who is the content really for? Is it for people that are already on our side, so to speak, or is it to engage with people to be more curious or to to educate them on some alternative perspectives to what they've perceived of capitalism and anarchism or communism, whatever it might be. You know, I, I'm not sure if that necessarily should be like two separate media systems in the same way like capitalism has two different media systems. They have, you know, the conservative and liberalism, which fundamentally believe the same things, but they can both kind of engage with the content in a different way. And if that's something mm-hmm. we should be thinking about. I mean, I think it's both. Like, I, I here, let me let me just say this real quick. I mean, I think it's yeah. like you know we have our politics, but at the same time, it's like you know we have people hitting us up to come on the show that like they're trying to evict me from my trailer park, and I need to come on and talk about it. Or you know, like we just had somebody from the the Miniwaka Indian Colony reach out to us to come on for like the third time to talk about the BIA trying to evict elders from um, this one area that's uh, resisting evictions. And it's like, none of those things are taught, you know, they don't want to come on and talk about anarchist theory, but they, they understand that the community that's involved is very broad thing. And like, you know, the people that represent those two struggles are vastly different in terms of just like, you know, their makeup of race or just even geography where they are in the so-called United States. But yet the community that listens to this show is something that they want to tap into, which I think is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I mean, part of that is because we reach out and we're constantly trying to, you know, have people on the show, whether it's like miners in Kentucky that are blocking, you know, black jewel trains of coal that they're on wildcat strike from, or it's people in big cities that are, you know, fighting the police. Like, you know, we're constantly trying to have these voices to talk about the front lines of resistance. And I think mm-hmm. the, the more that we do that and um, people realize that there's this larger fighting community that expands kind of beyond all of these, you know, limits of, of race and geography, I think, again, the circle expands, hopefully. And I think to approach this question of building these media ecosystems, it, we have to start off with a basic recognition about how what we're doing is really different than the right wing in, in a really basic way. So like we can take some take some information from what they did, but we also have to remember right-wing media is primarily a profit-based entity. It's an attempt of people to construct employment for themselves and to make money in the process, right? And so a lot of money flows in and through right-wing media. Steve Bannon's podcast, for example, didn't start off like us. Steve Bannon's podcast had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of funding, publishing deals, all this stuff before it ever even released a single episode, right? So like, we're operating differently. And I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily. So I think that there's this tendency to lament the lack of access to resources that often we have in radical and anarchist communities. And we do need more resources and and people really do need to be thinking about that. But at the same time, the fact that our communities are not grounded in monetary resources or the circulation of monetary resources gives us this ability to take positions which are really uncompromising. We don't have to necessarily make anybody happy. We can sort of get out there and do the thing that we want to do and say the thing that we want to say and make people really angry about it, right? Like Tucker Carlson or Chris Cantwell, like really, really, really hates us. And that's great. And every time Chris Cantwell was yelling at the Charlottesville trial about how we are the leaders of Antifa, I was sitting there laughing in my living room, just like, 
thinking about like how hilarious this was, like how angry this guy was. But it's we can take positions that get someone like that that angry, which is exactly what we should be doing. We should be making people like that. We should be making their life difficult, right? What that means, though, is that when we're doing radical media, we have to think about it slightly differently, right? It's not just about diffusion. It's not just about getting a story out to the most people or getting the most listeners or getting the most readers or, or something like that. Because what we're doing is first a political project and secondly, journalistic, just like AK Press is primarily an anarchist project that then publishes books. We can think about our projects like this. And as a result, we have to think about what we're doing and how we're doing it and the scale that we're doing it at through the lens of strategy, right? What are we getting out of this? Do we need to be bringing in more people, quote unquote, more people? Because I think there's an assumption that we do, but that's not always necessarily true. And so sometimes we want to like focus on that. Sometimes we want to focus on something else, right? Sometimes we want to focus on local news. Sometimes we want to focus at scale, but we get to have this ability to have a multiplicity of projects with a multiplicity of purposes at a multiplicity of different scales based on people reading the situation differently. And that's okay. Ultimately, kind of the whole point of, of anarchist politics is we are all better off when we all have the ability to participate and have voice in our own existence, right? And that doesn't change with media ecosystems. The one, again, cautionary thing I would say is you're not going to make money doing this. I mean, outside of the few people, the Robert Evanses of the world and, and so on that, that do make a living doing this, the vast majority of us never will. And to plan what you're doing around the idea of making money primarily means that you will make compromises that you might not want to make. And so I would highly recommend that if people are talking about doing projects like this, like I said before, the openness of the internet's a great thing, but because we lack resources, effort does need to be focused to some degree. And so really reading the situation, not going from the perspective of wanting your voice to be heard or your news to be heard, but going from the perspective of what can I contribute to the general strategic situation? And does running a separate media project or any media project do that, right? Because the answer might be yes and the answer might be no. But these kinds of projects are a lot of work. And so it takes a lot of time and effort to do something like this. And so people should really do this, but, but really think heavily about the strategic reasons as to why. Don't just think about it as a purely discursive kind of project of advancing and diffusing ideas. Yeah, there's a lot to it. And I think like you can hop on any social media and see the uh, the dead corpses of like hundreds of oh, yeah. short fallen various media projects on the left. Yep. You know, that's unfortunate because those were people that were interested in valued, important stuff, bringing up important issues and, you know, maybe feeling mm -hmm. frustrated that their perspective, like you're saying, wasn't being heard. Because yeah. as I'm sure, you know, starting projects is slow. I'm very familiar with with the slow growth that comes <laughs> at the beginning. Like you put in hundreds of hours for like seven listens for the first yep. long time. <laughs> and uh, there's no one to say, hey, it's going to get better. You're just like, is this it? Did I waste literally a month of my life to do seven people listening to my podcast or whatever the project yeah. might be? But, you know, this brings up this really interesting dichotomy of trying to create a sustainable platform of news and media as a whole, while also trying to not bow to the, the power of capital. Yeah, it, It's a really challenging thing to navigate, especially as projects get bigger and eat up more of your time. And I, I think that's something you guys have been doing for a long time. And you guys can probably speak yeah. a lot better to, to how, how much of a challenge that is than I can. But 
Uh, go ahead. Actually, sounds like you have something to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just I was just laughing because yeah, it, it's it's a challenge. I think the the real the things that keep projects like this humming, I think, really well are working with friends. So working with people that you know, like not just someone that you find interesting or or think is cool or something like that, but I mean, most of us have known each other for quite a while, or at least those lines of connection exist, right? Like I might have known one or two people, but then they know one or two people. And like, that's how the network exists. And and you have to think about projects like this as a network rather than as a closed circle, right? There's a lot of people that just do a column or just participate a little bit here and there. There's some people that do things full time. You have to really think about it in this really fluid way and ground what you're doing based on the capacity that you can guarantee is going to be there, right? So what is the consistent level of participation? If you get more than that, great. But the second thing is infrastructure, right? Develop the capacity to run your own infrastructure. Get some friends who are techies to set up your websites for you, run your own servers. Like, It's not just about avoiding stuff getting taken down, but projects that do this can scale a lot more easily, right? So you can go on eBay and buy a computer server for $200 or $300, and you can scale a site up to millions of viewers on that one box. And so if you know how to manage something like that, all of a sudden you're not paying tons and tons of money for hosting and all these other kinds of things as your project scale, you're building that in from the beginning, right? And so really think heavily about, again, what is the strategic goal? And then from the start, planning to be able to get there, not just going, you know, starting off and then going, oh, this is interesting and trying to move in a different direction, but really start to feel out from the beginning what you're doing and why you're doing it and start to plan from the get-go to be able to have those elements in place because that's what's going to allow you to do this for 10 years. Yeah, and I think you've hit on a really important note of why you're really doing what you're doing. Obviously, if you're on the left, you're very politically motivated by a lot of stuff and it's very easy to get outraged considering the world we live in. Uh, You have to really assess why you're doing or you're interested in getting involved and kind of where your place is because if it's something you're very passionate about, but you're not really closely connected to, you can go way, you can be way over your head very quickly in the material you're covering. Further, you also have this dance that you basically have to dance uh, with the subject matter where you don't get tired of it or burn out or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's a challenge. It really is. And burning out is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a part of the process. And like you were saying, there, there's a lot of flexibility in what these organizations look like, or fluidity, I think is the term you used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's okay, but that's that's why it's so important uh, to circle back to like the very beginning of this conversation about having meaningful relationships outside of the scope of like a social media presence or conversation or whatever, where there has to be real meaningful understanding of each other as people, of anyone that's involved with the project. And an understanding of context, right? I think one of the things... I forgot who said it, but it was a, a writer of Politico, this is a couple of years ago, wrote this article about the nationalization of American politics. I thought it was really fascinating because essentially what the argument was, was that prior to the age of social media, though people would talk about politics on these grand scales and talk about things like the Cold War and talk about you know economic policy and stuff, when you really, really got down to it, the, the scale of their interest was relatively immediate, right? They were worried about their family feeding their kids, right? Their healthcare, their job. You know, and they were seeing often these general problems through the lens of their locality, right? So there was kind of this generalization of anecdotal evidence that would happen and still happens. I mean, like that happens constantly. 
But in that world, I mean, this was a world in which you were intimately connected to the political issues around you. Now, what has happened is that people can talk about things that they've never had any experience with consistently and talk about them as if they have some sort of authority because they, quote, done research. And everything is this kind of disembodied sort of discourse, right? It's in a weird way, almost the kind of ideal of liberal democracy where everything kind of breaks down into a big discussion. And really there's this kind of back and forth discursive world that exists. But the problem with that world is it's detached from materiality. It's grounded entirely in just the way that we make sense of things and not grounded in the things themselves. And so really there's this sort of there's this sort of tendency in that world for the discussions that we have to sort of leave the place that they're happening in, to stop being about like what's going on on your streets, what's going on where you live, how are the police acting in your neighborhood, right? Things like that. Or even take something like the anti-war movement. When people were talking about tactics, it was always, how did the police respond to the last demonstration that we had? Not how did the police respond in general, because there's no way to answer that question. How did they respond to the last thing we did? right? How did the tactics we used counter that, right? Which is important because if you note, there's no discussion there of what are the quote best tactics in a vacuum? What are the quote best politics in a vacuum? Everything becomes really, really, really grounded and concrete. Yeah, That concreteness is what allows us to be effective, or I would even argue to think about the question of effectiveness, right? We have to be in a place, we have to locate that conversation somewhere. We have to talk about what effect we're having in a material sense. And so if really what we're doing here are projects which are meant to sort of advance the idea of revolt, essentially, right, then ultimately we have to be engaging on the level of what is happening where we are, because that's where as we as those that may have doubted this thesis learned in the summer of 2020, revolts always happen where you are, right? Like we were not. Where I live, I was not fighting in Washington, D.C. or New York. I was fighting in the streets of the downtown and the city I live in, right? And as was everybody else. And so we need to always keep those lessons in mind as, as we're thinking through these kind of projects, because that is what really separates the ones that succeed from the ones that don't, is this kind of groundedness. Yeah, and uh, part of that groundedness, I think, is the ability to to see things as malleable. And what I really mean by yeah. that is like, and this happens a lot on social media, like we have this idea that like there's an objective right and wrong or that there's like an absolute yes. truth, not even, I mean, the right and wrong is true, but also like that there's this like absolute objective truth that um, yeah. it exists. And, you know, whether that's on your politics or even like in terms of like organizing, like there's, oh, if mm-hmm. you're going to organize a protest, like these are, these are the things you should be doing. This is how you need to think about X and Y and Z. But all of that is basically just a, a, a framework to start from and then ap- apply yes. to the conditions where you are, which I feel like is the part that gets yes. missed in a lot of the conversations. Again, because people are disconnected from both their community and not just in terms of like the people that are organizing, but also from the organizing itself and the repercussions of that organizing. Yeah, well, and it's so I, I was having a conversation with a friend uh, a few weeks ago about this. And the way I put it was something like, now, I've been around for a long time and I've watched a lot of tankies become anarchists, but I've watched no anarchists become tankies. And there's a really basic reason why, right? Like, sure, there are traditional schools of anarchism which are grounded in notions of universal truth. I mean, you've got Kropotkin, like Kropotkinism is grounded in this kind of biological evolutionist sort of notion of truth, right? But the majority of the anarchist tradition is not. 
And it's grounded in this recognition of the inherency of multiplicity, or more importantly, you know, like Emma Goldman gave a entire lecture series on Nietzsche at some point. And the way that she was putting it was she was saying, and this is interesting because it becomes an existentialist argument later, but she essentially says, look, this world that we all want to be so certain about, if there was a world that we could be certain about, revolt would be impossible because everything would have to be determined by the truth that would exist, right? And that not only would we have to somehow transcend time and space to understand the totality of all possible things, and then somehow figure out what is true in that totality of all possible things without exception. But to even posit that that exists posits that the universe is deterministic, right? It posits a world without revolt. It posits a universe in which things are predetermined, right? In which things sort of play out in a sort of vaguely Leninist almost kind of way, which is what makes the idea of revolution in Leninism an absolute absurd paradox because it's always this historically prescribed event. And so, when we reject all of those theses, when we reject this notion that there's some sort of truth that leads to a utopia that we can understand, then the only possible other politics is one grounded in possibility and multiplicity, different voices, different understandings, different ideas, right? What that means, and, and I think that this is where it gets really difficult for people that are trying to do these things on social media, because you're right, social media discourse has this sort of absolutist tint to it in this really, really, really obvious way. I think what is really difficult for people who are trying to start these projects online is that they're doing it from this perspective that often has this very clear, rigid understanding of the world. Yet the world that they're trying to engage with is not that. It's everything but that. And so projects, the, the dead carcasses of these projects have a feeling of obsolescence to them almost immediately, right? That you sort of look at them and you're like, this was the idea you were trying to propel forward. I saw that you did that. You hit the logical conclusion of doing that. And so you just stopped. And you can sort of see that trajectory play itself out over and over and over again. But that malleability or multiplicity, the ability to embrace difference, I would argue is not just critical for media projects. I would say that that is quite possibly the most important single political question of the 21st century is whether or not we embrace that difference or whether or not we want to reject it and destroy it in a sort of you know hellscape of oppression, which is what the tankies are proposing. Yeah, I would agree with that. That underscores a lot of the conversations I have because I feel like it is so crucial to moving anything meaningfully forward as opposed to what I feel like has happened is um, the things we've been talking about, George Floyd, so on, where we've had these movements that just kind of not necessarily die off, but kind of ebb and flow into these weird patterns of not accomplishing enough, but being focused in many ways more on the the social media vision of what that looks like. And like, it's mm -hmm. like curated form where everything follows, you know, some abstract, you know, theoretical idea of like how these organizations should happen. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really great conversation, guys. So before I let you guys go, uh, could you guys just plug um, the, the website, Instagram, all that good stuff if people want to go check out your work and if there's anything else you'd like to highlight before we wrap up? Yeah, I would just encourage people, you know, check out itsgoingdown.org. It's updated almost every day. Uh, we have lots of reports, interviews, news roundups. We're always kind of covering whatever's happening in the streets in so-called North America, so Mexico, the U.S., and so-called Canada. We have a podcast that comes out every couple of days. Be sure to check that out. You can, again, find that on the website. 
part of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. So if you like our show, check out lots of other ones. We're also on the radio. So if you're on the West Coast in California, and you can listen to our show basically from Bay Area and above all the way down to Fresno on Fridays at 12, depending on whatever Pacifica station is closer to you. We also are played in Seattle on Saturdays, I believe, and a couple other places. So if you want to listen to us on the radio, you can do that. And yeah, just encourage people to check out It's Going Down. You know, check out some of the sites that we repost from. There's lots of content out there. And if there's something going on near you, write about it and send it to us. We'd love to get it out there. Yeah. And just really quick, like always remember nobody makes revolts for us. Like we have to do this on our own. You know, I mean, it's, it's like the radical militancy of DIY made political. And so even if something's not going on around where you happen to be, well, all the things that are happening in the places where things are happening happen because someone made them happen. So the best thing I could tell you to do is just start. Um, and there's no one that's going to be able to be there to tell you how to do that. You just got to kind of figure it out as you go and have the people around you be there for support. But there's nothing, there's nothing that says we can't start now. Yeah. And the other thing I would say signing off is that, you know, as the springtime gets here and people are starting to organize events outside, even though the pandemic is still around us, I think really that's kind of the way to go. We've got to kind of figure out how to get back out there and be outside again and still keep ourselves safe and our families and our communities uh, safe with the pandemic still on. Uh, But we can't give up the streets and we can't give up organizing still. So I think, you know, one of the kind of subtexts to like what we were talking about throughout here is just the negative impact of social media and kind of sequestering ourselves away online. And we've got to break down those walls and we've got to be able to meet our, meet ourselves face to face, make connections. You know, as we say all the time, we think this is really the time for people to not only in their own cities and towns, depending on how big they are, but also like regionally, now is the time to make those connections. You know, who around you lives within like a four hour rate, uh, driving distance? If something goes down in your town tonight, who can be there within a couple hours to back you up? Whether that's, you know, the Proud Boys rolling through to the local city council and starting to beat people up or something pops off in the streets or, you know, who knows, maybe there's a flood and you need help you know getting out of the area because climate change has you know brought another catastrophe on you this week you know so we need to really start making those connections you know it's not just the nice thing to do it's you know what we have to do in order to actually build these movements and projects up from the ground up so i would really put that on people like we're already seeing a lot of anarchist book fairs getting organized you know, think about what kind of activities that you can do safely with COVID protocols and masking and stuff, you know, still in force. But I mean, what can we do out there in the public sphere? There's been a lot of amazing mutual aid projects, but I think we can start with the weather starting to get a little nicer in some areas with winter kind of going away. You know, what are some of the things that we can do to engage the public? Again, we said that there's a lot of um, kind of people feeling a little bummed with lack of activity or, you know, just the the George Floyd rebellion kind of fading further into the background, but there's still so much going on. There's still so many local struggles happening. Again, now's the time to reach out to folks and like hold events and, and make connections with people in your area. No better time than now to organize. Exactly. Guys, thanks so much. This has been great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.